You're listening to the Second Breaks podcast. This is episode number 75. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Second Breaks podcast where we explore all the ways that you can make a move in today's crazy, fast, changing world so that you can create the career that you want and the future that you want. My name is Lou Blazer. I am your host. I am also a second breaker, and I like to call myself a career pivot Sherpa. I like that word Sherpa because that's actually really what I do. I guide my clients, my students through their career pivot journey, their career change journey, and make it as smooth and as painless as possible. Speaking of painless, uh, if if there's one thing that I know from doing this work for a while now, and also my own personal experience, is that anytime we are introducing some kind of change in our lives, whether it's a career pivot or even if it's just, you know, looking for a job, anytime that we're looking to introduce change in our lives, it is introducing also tension and stress. And also that's when the fears and the gremlin voices in our heads, they wake up and all of a sudden they want to have a party, right? All these limiting beliefs that maybe have been lying very dormant is all of a sudden awake because we're trying to stretch ourselves, we're trying to get to a next level, all that kinds of good stuff. And so what I have been focusing on really in my own practice is that In addition to, yes, providing the strategies and the tools and the plans to my students and my clients, I've also been really paying attention to this other side of the equation, which is the, what I call the brave muscle, right? Because what my, I have a, I have a mentor who used to say, if you do not have the intestinal fortitude, he uses that phrase to take action, Nothing is ever going to happen. And so I've been really paying attention to that. And that's why I've decided to close the year with one last workshop, which is called, I'm calling it Overcome Your Fears and Thrive in Your Career in 2019. It's going to be on Wednesday, December 12th. And this particular workshop, I'm focusing on how to improve or strengthen our brave muscles. And I'm actually specifically talking about three simple steps that you can take immediately so that you can position yourself for thriving in 2019. So maybe you've been stuck for a while. Maybe you've been wanting to do something. You've been waiting for the right moment or to feel ready or to feel a little bit more sure about yourself so that you can uh, make a job change or a career pivot or any kind of change that will improve your career situation, but you have been sort of held back, well, this is the workshop for you, my friend. So I'd like to see you there. We're going to talk about three steps to uh, get brave enough to take action in 2019. We're also going to talk about some myths around self-confidence that you may be inadvertently following that may be hurting your career. And I'm also going to talk about the five things that you want to make sure that you incorporate in your plans for whatever career move it is that you're planning to do in 2019 to make it as smooth as possible. All right. So you can find out more details and register for this webinar on December 12th when you go to secondbreaks.com forward slash webinar. Cool beans? 
Okay, so let's talk about today's topic. If you have been following me for a while, you probably have heard me talk about my long-term dream of publishing 15 books before I kick the bucket. And I've only done two, so I have a long ways to go. Plus, for the longest time, for as long as I could remember, I've always felt like there is this novel in me that's dying to get out. And so I always have this soft spot for anybody who is in the writing profession, whether you're a writer, an editor, or publisher, any anybody who is in that writing profession, I have deep regard and high esteem for those folks. And so from time to time on this podcast, you may have noticed that I indulge myself and I interview folks who can help me uh, with my writing dreams or my writing career, that part of my career that I is about writing. But I think that it's just not me that I'm indulging. I think that there's actually a lot of folks out there. I've certainly talked to many of them who want to be a writer, who wants to publish a book, that they have this idea that they want to see in print. And you know what? Actually, writing a book is a great way to uh, make a career move. It can launch a new career for you. So for example, if you want to uh, get on the speaking career, if you want to start a speaking career, writing a book is an excellent way to start that. Writing a book can also establish you as a thought leader in your space. So this is not just me indulging myself when I talk about writing. This is also for you If you're thinking about ways to position yourself uh, in your career uh, with your expertise, for example, especially if you're writing uh, nonfiction. And then also, of course, if you're thinking of writing fiction work, then obviously that starts you off with a, you know, writing career. Now, I'm going on and on about this because today's guest is Joelle Han, who happens to also be one of my mastermind sisters. Uh, she is a ghostwriter, a co-author, an editor, and a coach. And so this is an ex- excellent episode for you, my friend, to listen to if you have any aspirations of being a writer. Not only did we talk about the writing process, we talked about why this is still a worthy ambition to write a book, especially in an, a- in an age where, you know, we have shortened attention span. So we talked about why this is still a worthwhile ambition or a worthwhile goal. We talked about the first steps that you can take from that initial seed of a book idea to getting it written. And then we also talked about the strategic parts of writing. So it's not only the the romantic passion side of writing, but there's also the strategic reasons for why you want to write that book. Okie dokie. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Joelle, and I'll catch up with you at the back end. Hello, Joelle. Welcome to Second Breaks. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I thought we would start with the elephant in the room kind of question first and foremost, yeah, because people are reading less and less. I mean, we hear all the time people's attentions are what down to eight seconds or 12 seconds or whatever it is. And everybody's talking about uh, shortened attention span. So I guess the question is, is it still worthwhile for for a lot of us who want to write? Is it still worthwhile to write a book? Oh, absolutely. It is absolutely worthwhile to write a book. I think that the book structures have generally changed to meet this shorter attention span that you're talking about. Um, When I read books, 
from, I don't know, 20 years ago. And I picked them up if I still have a copy. I'm like, wow, this is not from this time because mm. people felt free to write just as much as they felt like. And <laughs> readers would read it or they would just put it down. There was a bit more patience back then. Now books are generally trying to go sh- shorter, shorter sentences. This is an influence of online writing and consumption, shorter sentences, shorter chapters, shorter books, but not always. I mean, Mm. there have been novels that have come out recently that have been like 900 pages and they are bestsellers. So yes, the publishing landscape has changed since I started reading voraciously, but it's not going away. And if you still want to write a book, if you want to write a book, you should still write a book because people are buying books. People are reading books Books may have changed, but the compulsion to read, you know, it's a very private and intimate act to read, and it Mm -hmm. can bring a lot of solace to people. And you don't know what, how your story or your method or your approach, whatever it is you're writing, if you're writing fiction or nonfiction or memoir or whatever, you just don't know how people are going to interact with your material. Mm -hmm. So if you feel a really strong urge to get your story out there, that is really what you have to follow is that passion and that drive and it, and don't worry about so much what happens on the other end. Just follow that gut feeling of like, I need to do this. I love that answer. So um, I don't know if you, if, if your observation is the same, but you know, in my line of work, I hear, I have conversations all the time with people who say, this is, I want to do this badly or I want to do this badly. And so many people say, I want to write a book, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, lots of people want to write a book or actually, no, lots of people want to be a writer, but not necessarily the, 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 the process of becoming a writer or the actual writing of the book. Right. And so I guess my question to you is if you are an aspiring writer right now and you have, you really feel that you have a book in you that you want to, you know, give birth to, where should you start? What could, you know, where do we begin basically the first two, three steps? Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say that distinction you made is really important between people who want to be a writer and people who want to be an author. This is how I think about it, because I work with both both kinds of people. There are people who strongly identify with the art and craft of writing, and they take pride in their sentences and their chapters and their their story expression and that kind of thing. And then there are other people who don't care about that at all and actually find it really annoying. And they just want to be authors. They just they just want their story out there and they don't want to have to do that work mm. because people are made differently. People think differently. People learn differently. People interact differently. Generally, and this is a generalization, the people who are very performance driven, who love to be on stage, love to be on TV, they don't have the patience to sit down and write a book. And mm. that's a generalization, I'm sure. But in my experience, it has been the people who are more outward and performative they don't want to sit down and write a book. So they're more suited to be authors and other people who enjoy that kind of intimate act of writing and the craft of it, they are writers. Now those writers will also become authors, but this is just how I distinguish them in my mind, these two. So, so sometimes it's important to understand that before you go into the writing process, if you know you have no patience to sit down and do the work, then you would start in a kind of a different place than a person who is like, no, I'm a writer. I, I pride myself on that. 
So if you're an author, someone who doesn't want to do the craft work of it, your first step would be to figure out your idea to, for example, pitch it to a bunch of your friends and see how, what the reaction is to them. And, and maybe pitch it to someone you know who's going to be kind of critical. Mm. And then see what the bounce back is and see if you can refine your idea. And then you would want to try to connect with someone who can get excited about your idea so that you know that it's worth investing in it. Mm. People have a lot of ideas. People have the proverbial book in the drawer yes. kind of thing. But when they take it out of the drawer, sometimes it doesn't work. So it's good to kind of test it out on the people around you, the idea anyway. And if you're that kind of person who, who's not interested in doing the craft part of it, then your next step would be to hire a writer, to a professional writer, to write the book for you. And Is that what that, they call a ghostwriter or something else? That's a, yeah, that's a ghostwriter. A ghostwriter or a co-writer. A co-writer would have their name on the book with you because they're co-writing it with you, but it's your ideas and your stories and your vision and everything. A ghostwriter is a ghost in the background and will not be seen. Um, these are high-touch, high-price projects for sure. Um, but there are plenty of people who don't have the time, don't have the desire to sit down and write their own book, and that would be the process for them. And they, an agent would be involved in that. For people who uh, either don't have the budget or, or pride themselves on the craft of writing, it would be a different kind of process. Not that different, but a little bit different because everybody wants to start with an idea that they've tested out a little bit to see if it's interesting. So first you start with your friends, your family, people close to you. And if people, if people don't ask you interesting questions after you've talked about your idea, either you're not saying it in a compelling way or it doesn't have any water to it. So you want to find a different idea or a different way of framing that idea. Um, and then if you're getting some traction, then you can start to see, you can start to write it down and see like, hey, what is my idea? And where would this idea be? If it was a book already, where would it be on the bookshelf in a bookstore? Like, where would I find this book? What kind of book is it? Is it fiction? Is it nonfiction? Is it personal? Is it a method? Is it, what is it? Like, what are the kind of books that are like this book out there? So you start to formulate, what would this look like outside of my brain? in the world. Mm. You have to you have to go from the place where this idea is interesting to you to a place where it's interesting and helpful to other people. Like you have to cross that bridge. And and as you're crossing that bridge, your idea is going to change a little bit because it's going to go from your fascination to something that's of service to other people. Right? So that that is no matter no matter where you are, like if you're listening to this podcast and you've already got a manuscript written and you think, well, I never did that. It doesn't matter because you can still do that. You can still test out your idea. You can still go to the bookstore and think about where would my book be on the, the bookshelf here? Where does it belong? How does it serve people? You can always, always, always at any stage of the writing process or thinking process, go through this um, sort of mental checklist, this meta checklist of like, what is my book exactly? At some point, you're going to have to have that reckoning with yourself and your book. Um, and like, like, let's say you're on one, one extreme of the spectrum and you're someone who is really DIY. You want to do it yourself all the way. You never have to hire anyone to help you at all. You can totally do this by yourself, 100%. You can uh, read up online. There's lots of resources online about writing a book and the many ways to do that. There are a lot of things online about writing. There's a lot of things you can research the heck out of it and do it yourself. 
I find that even really good writers appreciate help along the way. I include myself in that. When I realized myself as a writer, that if I hired someone like me, I would actually get my writing done. It changed everything. (laughs) And I started to get my writing done. Like, wow, why didn't I think about this years ago? (laughs) So true. (laughs) So I, I've worked with people who are professional writers, journalists, and I've worked with people who don't really write very much. And everybody has said, oh, wow, I could never have done this without help. No, they might have, but it might have taken them Forever. 25 yeah, years exactly. instead of one year, you know? Yeah. So, so you have to figure out your idea. That's, that's really a place you want to start. And then you have to think about what kind of book are you writing, which is why it's helpful to go to the bookstore because if you're writing fiction, you need to do one thing. And if you're writing nonfiction, you need to do another thing, which is different. And, uh, and figure, and you have to figure out what your, what your steps are going to be because writing a book is a mixture of real pragmatism and strategy and also real creativity and inspiration. It's both of those things. It's not one or the other. You have to have both. It's the, it's knowing where you're going and also, having the time to spend with your idea so that you can get it out in the way that's the most true for you and for the book and for whatever you're doing it for building your brand maybe, or telling your life story or whatever it is. So it is, it is a mix of those two things. A couple of uh, follow-up questions um, on that, uh, what you just said, Joelle. So one, when you were talking about sharing your idea um, and just bouncing it off and seeing if, you know, just, putting it out there basically, right? And, and getting some reactions to that idea. Do you suggest that uh, you talk about the idea or do you suggest that you actually share maybe a chapter or two or whatever it is that you're write, you've written? That's a good question because um, it depends. That's the, the have people who around you who are quick to understand what you're talking about and can give you a good a good quick answer. Like if you give them an elevator pitch, they can quickly respond with whatever they're going to respond with. And then, you know, like, Oh, this is hot. Oh, this is not very hot. Mm. You you can see them go through that. And that's actually very helpful. Uh, and not everybody you're going to talk to is going to be actually a a good reader. Mm. So you want to pick people. If you're going to give someone written material, you want to know that they're a good reader. They're a thoughtful reader. Um, not that you want them to go through it, with a fine tooth comb and go over every single word, every single sentence, you don't, you want them to to have a general impression, but you want to be able to trust them as readers. Mm. You can just use your smarts about who's around you. Like this person is going to be, give me a good gut reaction, quick answer. That's what I'm going to use him for. And then this other person, oh yeah, she's, she's a bit more thoughtful. I'm going to give her the, the written chapter and see what her thoughts are on that so it could be as simple as hey Joel, i have got an idea for a book do you mind if i just talk to you about it and see tell me what you yeah. think it could just be as simple as that right it can just be that simple yeah gotcha gotcha so then another follow-up question before we move on to the next topic i want to chat with you about when you were talking about you know uh finding where your book belongs or like going to the bookstore and saying what kind of book is this going to be fiction nonfiction, or even the genre if you're writing fiction i just wanted to check with you on this one it's not to see whether has anybody else written a book like this before or or it, it's not for that or is it for that it's for a bunch of things and that's one of them 
That's one of them. The bookstore is not going to be comprehensive. It's not like going to the library and doing a search Mm -hmm. in the library database Mm -hmm. and seeing what else is out there or going on Amazon perhaps and seeing what comes up. A bookstore has got, it's got a much more limited shelf display. So you're not going to see everything that's like your book there. But what you will see that's very, very helpful is what has been published recently in the category that your book would belong to. And also Mm -hmm. it makes you think about what category would my book belong to. And that's a, that's a very simple exercise, but it is profound. It is profound. When you're standing there in front of the bookshelf and you're like, oh, <laughs> like these would be, this is my company here. Like these are the books that are going to be side by side with mine. Then because seeing your idea in context suddenly changes it from being a two-dimensional thing or a one-dimensional thing to being a three-dimensional thing. And that gives you more ideas. So yes, it's both to see your competition, which is helpful, and your competition and your company, they're both the same thing. And also just to get those wheels turning about what your book would like when it's be like when it's a real object in the world. I love I love how you're framing it, Joelle, because um, you are bringing in the strategic side of writing and not just the, oh, I love this idea, you know, the the passion heart part of it right which is the which is of course we need to tap into because otherwise you're not going to finish the book but i love the the love i love the way that you are going about it because you're bringing in the strategic part of the writing which we all need to worry about right to think about so um when i first met you it was associated with this phrase book proposal that was how i met you or that was the context <laughs> in which i got to know you book proposal now in my days or like when I was growing up, I always associated book proposal as like if you are shopping your book around to look for a publishing company. And so I want to bounce up a check with you to see, is this still the reason why people write book proposals or has the book proposal process now become something else that we need to think about when we're thinking of writing a book? Book proposals are really important to books. They're very important to books. And that goes for um, traditional publishing and even self-publishing. And lately, which is fascinating and weird, is that while it used to be until very, very recently, only nonfiction books would require book proposals. Now some agents are asking, some fiction agents are asking for book proposals from fiction writers because they want to know that the writer is going to put some muscle behind their their book sales and that the writer knows what the market is like at least somewhat at least generally mm. they they want to know that even literary writers are a little bit savvy about what's out there but what a book proposal does is it tells your publisher or your agent that uh what your concept is what your market is who you are it gives you a, them a sense of your writing and it tells them where, going back to the bookstore, where your book would belong in the bookstore. I mean, they have a much more nuanced sense of those categories of the bookstore than we do, but it gives them a place to start with it. And that is essential for nonfiction. You cannot sell a book without nonfiction, without a proposal, even if you say you met a publisher or an editor at a party and they're like, God, I love that idea. Um, like, and then they said, let's c- come into the office and meet. 
and you met other people and everyone said, this is, this is in your dream, right? Like this happens once in a while, not, not, <laughs> not super often. And they said, oh, we love your idea. It's so great. We love you. You'd be a great author, all this stuff. Now go away and write the proposal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the proposal has to happen. I think for, for fiction writers, it can be much more basic at, at this point. You don't need a comprehensive proposal as a fiction writer, but as a nonfiction writer, you do need a book proposal. And I, I have helped a lot of people do book proposals because even though it's, it's just, you know, it's like an RFP or a white paper or um, any kind of proposal you're used to writing in, in other business situations, it's just like that. It is not intuitive. <laughs> not intuitive to put together, you mean? Yeah, not intuitive to put together. Yes. You have to write about your book in a compressed way, the book that you've not yet written. You know, you have to project into the future that doesn't exist yet and then backtrack and write it as if it does exist. Right, right. Well, I read, um, I read an article some time ago that said that even if you are not planning, even if you're going down the self-publishing route, it still is a good exercise to write a book proposal because going back to the strategic questions that you want to be asking yourself, you're going to do that before you spend hours and hours and hours writing the actual thing that you Absolutely. want to write. No, I totally agree. And when I talk to clients who want to self-publish, that's what I tell them also. Because even though there may not be an agent or publisher waiting for their proposal, it is the work of writing a proposal is the work of mapping out your book and also understanding your market, which is important, just as important, if not more important as a self-published author, as it is for a traditionally published author. You want to know where your book belongs. You want to know who you're talking to. And you also want to know how your book is going to develop. Like how does your idea go from the beginning to the middle to the end? You know, what's happening there. You, you need to know that for yourself. So I I recommend it also for self-published authors because you're digging in, you're excavating your idea, you're figuring out your market, you're getting this bird's eye view on your book, and you're setting yourself up for success. I have my next book idea uh, in mind. I think I'm going to have to put together a book proposal for this. Well, I'm going the self-publishing route, but I think I'm going to have to put together a book proposal because it will help me flesh it out a little bit more um, before I start writing. But um a lot of people who are thinking about self-publishing know that, uh, or at least should know, <laughs> that uh, it, yes, you can DIY it yourself, like you said earlier, everything from writing the book to designing the cover to creating the, you know, doing the formatting, everything, everything. You can DIY, DIY the whole, the whole bit. But probably the, the, especially if you're artistic, you can probably design the cover yourself. But the one area that almost always people say that you should do is to hire an editor. Yes, Even if you are DIYing everything else, hire Ab an editor. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> so, but then the question is then you go, okay, I'm going to hire an editor. And then you go look at all the different kinds of editors and you're like, oh, you talk to an editor and you're like, 
well, what kind of help do you need? And you realize that there are actually many different kind of e- kinds of editors out there. So I know that you do, you, yes. you are an editor. So do you mind a little bit going through what are the different kinds of editors that we should be thinking about yeah. um, when we're thinking of hiring someone? Yes, it's true. I don't even think about this because I'm so used to it. But of course, if you're not in this world, how would you know? <laughs> it's not transparent. Um, like recently I did a class about developing your book idea and somebody that I met in Costa Rica years ago found me on Facebook and said, Hey, I'm not ready to write a book, but I have this piece of text that needs polishing. And I was like, Oh no, (laughs) because for me, for me, that is just a tiny little job. And I work in really big jobs. I work in big, 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 long-term jobs big ideas and help people get through the big stuff. And, and it doesn't mean that I don't do the small stuff. I do the small stuff, but not on, at, as one-off. So in many things, I try, try to simplify it. I'm a developmental editor. When I have this hat on, I'm a developmental editor. And a developmental editor helps writers figure out their idea, figure out their manuscript structure, helps them understand where their writing is going off the rails. And, and then sometimes... A really good developmental editor will also have somewhat of a teaching role trying to help the writer improve their writing. So not just fix it, but also help them to learn. And it depends on the the writer too. Like some writers don't want to learn and that's okay. That's, that's their prerogative. And some writers really appreciate that and they just soak it up and, and they love it. So a developmental editor is, is shepherding a manuscript from author's idea to a finished draft and that's big work right like that's big idea work and then that's some copy editing and then that's a little proofing and then they send it off send it back to the author then then so a developmental editor will do all those things we'll do developmental editing we'll do copy editing we'll do proofing now copy editing is the stage of editing when my friend was asking me if i would polish up this text to me, that sounds like copy editing. Copy editing is you've got your manuscript done. It's developed. You got all your ideas in the right places. You got your structure figured out. You basically know the writing is okay, but you've probably got typos. You've probably got some weird grammatical constructions and you probably have some repetition, little bit, not major, little bit, the things that we can't catch And you need a pro who knows grammar and style, like the back of her hand to go in there and go through it with a fresh set of eyes, do a fresh read and catch all that stuff. That's a, that's a copy editor. Very important. Very, very important. Um, I don't like to do that kind of work because I love to be in the big macro world, but I'm just doing it reflexively as I'm doing the, the developmental editing work. Just the last phase is the proofreader. So once your manuscript is done, 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 you get it back from the production editor at your publisher, then you'll, you'll, the next stage is you're going to print the book. They'll have a proofreader. They should have a proofreader. Look it over one more time for consistency and errors. And believe me, when I worked in-house in publishing, we had, let's say, 10 sets of eyes on this manuscript before it went to the final stage. And still at the final stage, they caught errors. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) So the developmental editor, so going through it one by one. So it sounds like that's the one that you need to partner with someone almost 
very early in the process then, as soon as you've decided that you're going to write a book or that you want yeah, to bring that's, it? Yeah, that's actually an excellent time. It's always a good time to bring in a developmental editor, but right at the beginning is a good time because the, the DE, as we call ourselves, the DE can really help you refine your idea, uh, decide with you about the table of contents, and then give you feedback all the way along the, in the process. It saves you so much time actually. And having an audience is incredible for a writer to know that someone's waiting to read your draft, that they're going to give you constructive feedback on it. It speeds everything up suddenly in your life that had no space in it before you find room to do your writing and do your revisions and it all happens faster. But that said, I often look at a manuscript that's totally done and then we have to either reverse engineer it or I'm, I'm just doing a light developmental edit, depending on what it is. So it can work both ways from inception or completion. Right. And is it important for, you know, for someone who's ov obviously, if you're going the traditional route, the editors, these different kinds of people that you will work with are, are provided to you or given to you by the publishing, ed uh, publishing company. But if you're going down the self-publishing route uh, and you're hiring these individual people by yourself, yeah. Is it important that the editor be specializing in your space? So, for example, if you're writing a nonfiction, say, memoir, is it important that the editor is a memoir kind of, you know, is in that space too? That's a good question. I, for me, I like variety. So I like to work in different forms and different formats. Mm -hmm. I find that fun and refreshing. Um I don't, I have not edited fiction, but I've edited all kinds of nonfiction from memoir to self-help to prescriptive nonfiction to teaching nonfiction, teaching memoir, like all, all kind, all sort of formats of mm -hmm. how you could slice and dice a subject or a story. And I enjoy that. The variety keeps me interested. Um, there, I imagine there could be editors that specialize in only one thing, like they only do self-help or they only do memoirs. And they are ace at those things because mm -hmm. that's really what they specialize in and focus in. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's about temperament. You know, I like the variety. Some people like, might like the consistency. There you go. Do we interview editors? Like, how do we decide, like, this is the editor <laughs> I'm going to work with? Well, you definitely want to know that they've got experience and that you think that it's a good general match for you, for what you need. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, it's very in intimate to be edited. I know I said that word three times already in this interview, but, but writing a book is an intimate process. And if you're working closely with a developmental editor, you want to know, you want to be spending time with this person and with their thinking. You want to know that you trust the person, that you feel comfortable with them, that if you have a quandary, you can ask them to help you with it. You want to feel like this person has your best interests at heart, that they're they're reliable. I mean, as a, just a, as a base standard, they're reliable. They're going to get back to you. But more than that, that you feel a connection with them and you feel trust with their work. Cause you, you're going to be, believe me, writing a book, you're going to go through all kinds of emotional ups and downs. N not that your editor is your therapist. They're not your therapist. <laughs> they, a good editor is going to keep you moving. We're not going to stay and think about a subject for too long, but you want to know that 
they're going to handle things sensitively if something comes up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I love also how you framed that because it's true, like, especially after you, you have labored through your work and then you give it to someone and then it comes back with all the, the suggestions for edits and question marks. It's like, oh my God, if you don't like the person or you don't have a comfort level with a person. Like I remember when my book came back, we're like, oh my God, all the things that I need to fix. <laughs> yes, so true. So, um, oh, I can be very self-indulgent, Joelle, and talk to you for you? hours and hours. No. <laughs> because this is a topic that I love to talk about because because of my own interests. Yeah. But I want to be respectful of your time. So just a couple more questions, if you don't sure. mind. Not One first. is... How how do people work with you nowadays? How can people find you? And uh, less about the where can people find you online, but rather I think you hold webinars. So don't you have, hold workshops? Mm. Or how do yeah. people get to know you and work with you? Yeah, so I have I do a whole bunch of things that I'm trying to streamline to make it easier even for myself to understand. <laughs> so I do offer webinars. And I have short webinars and I have long webinars. The short one is like you're starting your book project or you're at a stuck place and you need to really just pull back for a second and figure out what your idea is, figure out what your general roadmap is. And that's just a four-week workshop, which is not very long in my view. It's not very long, but you can really get some great work done in that to really think about where you're going and contemplate things that you haven't maybe yet considered that will help set you on the right path to going into your draft. So if you wanted to make a small investment over a short period of time and set yourself up for good writing, there's that workshop. Mm -hmm. And then the other workshop I do is once or twice a year, I open up the book proposal Academy. And that is for a very small group of people, like five to 10, 10 would be really the outside. Um, usually it's fewer than that. And we work together over four months to compose a book proposal. So we work as a group. There are lessons every week and time for hot seats and lots of feedback. And really four months is a short amount of time to write a book proposal, but it's enough to do it if you can work on it regularly over that time. And that is, that is an intensive process, but super rewarding. You can get to the end of those four months with a well-crafted book proposal that will develop your idea, we'll find your way through your idea, your table of content, you'll have your strategy worked out, you'll have your market worked out, you'll know who you are in that and why agents want to talk to you and why editors want to talk to you. It, it's a lot of work, but you are really just super set after that. So and, those are the and these two webinars, workshops, yeah. um, Joel, sorry, I, I interrupted you, but uh, are appropriate for even for people who are writing their first book or people yes. who are like, I have a full time job and I can only do this at nights during nights and weekends. Yes, absolutely. It's for everybody. And um, it's for everybody. It's for returning, returning authors. It's for first time authors. Really, the requirement is that well, the requirement for develop your idea is only that you feel passionate about your idea. That's all you really need to join in that workshop. Uh, it's going to clarify a lot of things for you and be really helpful. For the Book Proposal Academy, I want to talk to people first and interview them and see where they're at and see if, if I feel that they're going to get a book deal out of their idea because I don't want to set anyone else. I don't want to set people up for not to not succeed. So mm. I want to talk to people and say, okay, 
you've got something you're really passionate about, which is awesome. And that's what you need, but maybe you need to spend a bit of time developing it first because right now I can't see where that's going to be in the market. Um, and I don't, I don't want you to come in and do all this work and spend all this money and then not have something on the other side. I want you to be able to sell this. So the people I feel like they are ready, um, they may have an agent. They may not have an agent. It doesn't matter. That piece doesn't matter. What really matters is, is that I can see, oh yeah, this is going to work. And then they would be an excellent candidate for the book proposal Academy because they're going to be working with people at the same level and we're all trying to get books out there. And so we've got to have all the same drive and the same kind of, uh, passion for what we're doing and the same, I can see there could be a same end result as well. Gotcha. And can people also hire you outside of those webinars and workshops as their developmental editor or like one-on-one type of thing? Yes, exactly. Um, I do book coaching, so I'll do kind of a little package for, I'll do one-offs. If you just, you have something, you're like, oh, I just need some eyes on this thing, or I just need to to brainstorm with you for like one hour. I have that kind of thing, like short term and really short term. Mm -hmm. And then I have, um, I help people develop their manuscripts and that could be, they've already written it or they haven't started it yet either way. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Any, any way along. And then I also do ghostwriting. So the whole, the whole gamut. Cool beans. Oh my goodness. All right. So where can people find you online? Joelle, tell us. So my little micro brand is called Brooklyn Book Doctor. I live in Brooklyn and I'm I'm more than a book doctor, but it just rolls off the tongue better. Brooklyn Book Doctor. <laughs> Brooklynbookdoctor.com. Mm-hmm. And you can find out a lot about me and what I do there. So all the information about the different w- workshops and when they are happening and all that kind yes. of stuff. Okay. It's all, all uh, of the same name, Brooklyn Book Doctor. I'm there on Facebook. You can find me there. Connect with me there. I'm sharing helpful tips and doing Facebook lives and giving out information to people who are needing it or interested there also. And I'd be happy to hear from anybody who wanted to chat about what they're working on. Oh, Joelle, thank you so much. This is such (laughs) a treat for me and for all the, for all the people out there who listen, who want to bring forth or give birth to their books. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. I really enjoy talking about this. And I really hope that anyone listening feels like I really do have a book that don't wait. Get it out there. Exactly. So that's what I have for today's episode, my friend. I hope that you found this useful. The show notes for today's episode where you can find out more about Joelle Han, as well as the link to the webinar on December 12th, Overcome Your Fears and Thrive in 2019, is at secondbreaks.com forward slash episode 75. I hope to see you on the webinar next week. If you love this episode or a frequent listener to the podcast, I would be so grateful if you'd leave me a rating and review on iTunes. That would help me tremendously in reaching other folks who could benefit from this podcast. So if you're not sure how to leave a review on iTunes, you can go to secondbreaks.com forward slash review and that will give you the step by step. Now is also a good time to hit that subscribe button, my friend, if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss any of the future episodes. Because as you know, there's a new episode that drops every Thursday that will help you make that move that will lead you to the career and the future that you want. 
Okay, that is a wrap for today's episode. Thank you so much for being here and for being with me for a few minutes today. I cannot wait to chat with you again next week. In the meanwhile, keep on making your dent, my friend. Cool beans. <laughs>